Third Degree, the podcast is brought to you by Soccer 90, which is your source for all your FC Dallas, U.S. national team, and international club gear. Everything from Juventus to Chelsea to Chivas and a whole bunch of other stuff, including the new USA gear, is all available on their website, Soccer90.com. And because you are a fantastic Third Degree listener, we're going to give you 25% off your order when you use the code ThirdDegree at checkout at Soccer90.com. Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious fan. Welcome to another episode of Third Degree, the podcast. I, how you doing? My name is Peter, and with me today is not, at least not yet, Dan Crook, who is somewhere out on the highway running very, very late. Maybe he will join us, maybe he will not. And whatever, the only reason you listen to this podcast anyway is your hero and mine, editor and founder of ThirdDegree.net, the good Buzz Carrick. Come in, Buzz. Well, thank you, Peter. I don't think that that's true, but I appreciate the uh, sentiment. Thank you. It's absolutely. If Dan and I did a Third Degree podcast without you, it would have three listens. It would still be the number one Dallas Sperm podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, I, it's like smallest midget. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, that was probably inappropriate. Uh, okay. So look, look, everybody, we are on a winning streak. And let me say we, because this is when I feel like I want to be part of all of this. So I'm going to say we are on a winning streak. And uh, sticking it to the new, annoying, uh, overly needy Austin FC, Dallas to Austin Zero. And uh, Lucci has got a good thing going, and everybody's feeling much better about this season, Buzz. Oh, man, yeah, everybody feels great. I mean, you know, winning's fun. Winning is fun. Yeah, I mean, everyone loves winning. Uh, and it's true not just to the fan base, you know, and, 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 of course, fans enjoy sticking it to the other team and the other team's fans. And Ryan Holling said enjoyed winning so that the fans could stick it to the other fans. <laughs> that was a great soundbite from Ryan. Uh, you know, in the in practices, listen, pr- practices have not been super negative, even when they weren't winning. They, they managed to keep it really positive. But there's no doubt that the atmosphere is better like this week. You know, they all recognize that they got some huge results on the road and they all recognize that they got a couple good home results. Now, they they'll often get home results that are good, but they feel really good about the way they're playing and defending their home turf and all that stuff. And they know they got two more good chances to win at home coming up. I mean, tough, tough teams, but their home advantage for everybody in the MLS is so huge that you really got good chances to win. So good times, right? All right. So I was somewhat surprised because uh, the, your instant feedback, your, your instant video reactions that you post on, on social media in the hours after watching the game, uh, I'm always interested in those and what your take is. And, and through some of the losses, you've been really, really positive. But I'll be damned if you didn't actually have a ever-so-twinge of, hey, everybody, uh, let's put the brakes on after 2 nothing over Austin. Yeah, they squad rotated. Um, Wolf left. They have three DPs, which is more than Dallas has. And he <laughs> left. He put all three of them on the bench. you know. And, and I can't remember whether they had any more changes other than that. But... When you put three DPs on the bench in a league of parity, that's a lot of talent and firepower on the bench. 
So, you know, they rolled all those guys in at one in one sub, which is funny. I was like, has there ever been a moment when some a team has subbed in three DPs at the same time before? I, I bet there hasn't been. So you have to take it with a little bit of grain of salt that they didn't roll out their number one best team. But as uh, Colin Clark family said, uh, they brought who they brought and they got their asses kicked. So you play who you play. That's right. And I, I'm just going to play FC Dallas Homer here and point out that FC Dallas set their two home DPs and their, <laughs> and, and their best starting 11 doesn't include them. Yeah, right. Well, it doesn't right now. <laughs> I mean, Acosta should be in the lineup, uh, you know, when he is, well, whenever he should be. He's not right now. He's not playing really well in practice, but he definitely should be in the lineup. Uh, the other one should not be. So then it really, you know, but yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> they, right now, their best 11 doesn't include any DPs. That's amazing, doesn't it? It is. It's, yeah. it's uh, you know, it's one of those facts about this team that wavers that weird fine line between being embarrassing and something to be really proud of. Yeah. I mean, look at the, look at the lineup against Austin, right? Pepe's 18, Sean's 20, Flair's 20. Paxton 21, I'm doing this off the top of my head now. Uh, Faku and Ricarte are relatively old, but Tuomasi's 22, Tafari's 22. You know, that's that's like half, more than half your lineup is like below the age of 22, can barely drink. I mean, that's, that's an impressive feat, really, honestly. And uh, if you roll Evan Surreal in there instead of Ricarte, like they often do of late, that's like eight guys. I mean, that's remarkable. You know, Mike, well, the man I considered my friend, Mike Wrench, I used to always say, if you're good enough, you're old enough, and soccer is a young man's game. It's like this game was made for kids, for young people. I don't mean like children kids. I mean young 20s yeah. kids. You know, this is when guys are at their best. The very best players are at their very best in their mid-20s. And in, if you're good enough, even in your low 20s, you know, Pele's in the World Cup at 16, you know, Messi's – Scoring for Barcelona at 18, you know, the best, best players get it done way before their mid 20s and peak way, you know, at the same time everybody else does. And the, the best players Dallas has are all their academy guys and their young kids. It's amazing. Yeah. You know, before we get into the specifics of the Austin game, I do want to review the the winning streak. Um, yeah. Which are not winning streak, the undefeated streak. That's the actual because there was a tie in there. Um, and and think about the games that we that were played, and, and how I'm just I'm fascinated to hear from you, Buzz. How much of our excitement over the undefeated streak is a, a, a reflection of how much better this team is, or is it maybe if we're all being honest, we didn't play all these teams at their full strength and uh, and a little bit of luck there? I mean, where where does that all balance out in the, in in terms of reality? Well, um, I think you can be really excited about some of the results because they came on the road. And it, it was the turnaround on the road where you won one and you tied one against the two best teams in the Western Conference. And even if they were on a, Seattle's on a little bit of a downturn, but they're still one of the best teams in the league. Sporting Kansas City, despite the fact that Vermees has a I don't know, tick about Lucci or whatever, you know, for some reason, they're still one of the best teams in the league. You know, you beat an arch rival admittedly at home, but you also beat LA galaxy at home slightly shorthanded, but then FC Dallas was shorthanded in that game too. So, you know, as, as harsh and as ugly and as awful as the team had been, 
in the first, what was it, third part of the season when they were playing all the veterans, it wasn't until they started playing all the kids again, awesome, play the kids, that the corner started to be turned. And when you compare how bad the early season results were to, even if you only want to call these mediocre results, like the comparatively, it's just night and day, the difference in the way the team's playing and the results. So, you know, they're, they're not a gangbusters team that's going to win MLS Cup, we don't think, but uh, it's still light years better than it was. And that's reason to be excited. Anytime for me, you see progression where the people that are coaching the team that you're following, recognizing what's going wrong, finally get it turned the right direction. That's great. That's exciting. That's what you want to see happen. So in speaking specifically about the Austin game, I have all these notes that I took on my phone during the course of the game, and I'll get to the top one, which was the one is <laughs> nothing to do with the game itself, but I was most mm. interested in. We'll talk about it at the end. Uh, but I think I, I don't think I'm being uh, a jerk for pointing out that that first half was not very good from either team. It was really slow. Uh, Brisson had some really ugly moments in that first half. Ryan, who ended up redeeming himself, I thought Ryan in particular in the first half was just a turnover machine. Every time he tried to pass the ball square, it would get turned over and he'd have to sprint back and cover. Uh, but I even have a note in here that says, <laughs> says if you were to string all the lateral and backwards passes made between these two teams into one thing, it would circumnavigate the earth three times. <laughs> That's a lot of bad passing. <laughs> Not bad. Backwards yeah. and lateral. Because yeah. it was the, neither team really was doing a lot of attacking, and it was just a really morbid game to watch. Yeah. Up till halftime. Well, I, I don't want to point out that Paxton was lifted at halftime, that that wasn't what changed it. I do think, as we, as I've tried to indicate before, that sometimes when you unpack some tires people out, that the Obreon's change of pace can be effective. But I think really the change was Acosta for Ricarte. Um, I'm sure there also was a halftime speech that probably got some people's attention, I would imagine. It wasn't in there, but I bet you it was probably an intense halftime speech. Um, but, you know, when Acosta compared to Ricarte... Uh, they both play the same spot in a sense. They both play like this eight, but Bocarte's eight is a very deep sling and passes around kind of eight. You know, it's really like, a, I don't know what you, why we would call this, but you want to call it like a false 10 or something, you know, it's, yes. yeah, it's, he's not really, well, now he puts in a lot of uh, pressures, which means he gets in the right spot, but he doesn't win duels or tackle at a high percentage. So his ball recovery is not high Compared to Acosta, Acosta is more of a legit box-to-box double guy. He can, in fact, six. Now, maybe he can't quite sling it around like Ricarte, but I honestly think that that's the difference in the two halves for FC Dallas, was, which is a contrary to what I have said in the past several weeks when things were not going well. You remember I talked a lot about wanting an eight in there who could pass uh, and help them be progressive. And Faku has done a little bit of when he's playing with Edwin, Faku does more of that progressiveness. And Acosta and Ricarte can both do it, but Acosta brings both sides, not just the progressiveness. So I honestly think that cohesion and that kind of holding it together. And and when 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 you have a player in there who can do the defensive responsibility, that frees up Jesus to not check back quite so much and stay a little higher. That's all part of it. So. Um, you know, not not ideal first half, but they got through it. And in the end, the second half was where 
they made their hay, you know, particularly after they scored it. And, and then Houston, Houston, Austin brought in all their big guns and Dallas managed to hold it together and get another goal and, and keep them off the scoreboard, even though they had a couple of good chances. Yeah. And really, uh, you know, you, I think you mentioned him as your man of the match. And I think everybody felt the same, uh, Shun or Shun, is it Shun? Shun, 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 yep. uh, had a really, uh, impressive match. And, and, uh, you know, there's, I really worry about his uh, slight size. If I had one criticism about the kid, it's just that he's just too—he's pushed <clears throat> off the ball a little too easily because he's yeah. just so tiny and thin. Um, but the, it dawned on me uh, after the fact that the kid has started four games and has four assists, and between Obreon and Vargas combined, who have played way more games um, and came in at much higher prices and much more vaunted as solutions in the wing positions, they have zero assists between them. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. And I was going to say, and then, you know, I tweeted that, that fact out, and I got some pushback uh, from Egg Saladino, who's one of your... Uh, Fritz, more, yeah, Fritz. Yeah, Fritz, who's a, a good, solid listener. Yeah. He was, he was trying to point out that it, th- this isn't the... I think what he's saying, I'm still a little confused as to what he's trying to... The point he's trying to make. I think what he's saying is, is that Vargas and Obreon have put several balls in. They're just not being converted for goals. And I and I I kind of understand where he's coming from, but at the end of the day, the only numbers anybody cares about are, are result numbers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and and I and how many of those crosses that Vargas and Obreon have put in were really assist worthy crosses? I don't know. Yeah, I, some of that's a little horror bashing again, you know, because those guys were playing in the first half of the season when it was with Hara. Um, you know, all three of those guys in their defense are still bringing a little. The value to the team you know this this is a team r- right now which doesn't have guys that are quitting on it there's no jassy <laughs> in this group you know <laughs> sitting down on the field i mean literally sitting down on the field and quitting uh we'll talk about that yeah. the day we die <laughs> i'll never forget that i know so shun uh you know what a rough start he had when he was here like two days and lucy's forcing him in and and honestly you know with the euros sort of reminding people what he had to bring to the table and and then he came back and now he's more comfortable and he's integrated and things are looking really well. And obviously he must be really likable because everyone seems so excited. Like the other guy, kids in the game are so excited when he gets the assist or whatever. You know, obviously the guy's a likable dude and, and positive in the locker room. And he certainly seems joyful in the social media they talk him into doing. Um, it, but, the, but the key thing for me is that for the first time in, oh man, I can't even remember how far you put back you'd have to go. Maybe even Castillo. The first time in a long time, there actually is a balanced play from both wings because Paxton's doing things on the right and Sean is doing similar things on the left. They both have an ability to go at people. They both want to go at people. They both can turn. They both can distribute. They both can make a breaking pass. You know, they both can dribble a bit on take a couple of guys. You know, so that balance is so nice. When I mean, when was the last time we saw that? I mean, we were talking about needing a left wing for like four years now. I feel like, oh, maybe forever. five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we've had a couple of good right wings. We've had Barrios here for quite a while, and they never had the balance. And all of a sudden, with Paxton and Sean, you have some balance, and it's it's fantastic. Yeah, although I will push back a little bit and say I I still get frustrated that I. My sense is is that Paxton is being hidden off on the right, and and it's like, it's <laughs> it's like having a race car and you're using it to you know pick up groceries and stuff, <laughs> uh, and 
Or do you want him to play? I want him to be in the middle, man. I yeah. just, I just, you know, Jesus again is. We talked about this last week. So hot and cold, um, uh, and maybe this. I don't know how you would describe his game this particular week, but I, I, there's just so much more to Paxton's game, and I just feel like it, it gets hidden off. And then I, and then of course he gets subs, substituted at halftime, and things shift in the game. And I'm thinking, well, is that reflective of Paxton not playing well on the right, or his lack of speed compared to Obreon? You know what? You know, but again, I, I think you're right. It probably had more to do with Acosta than it did yeah, Obreon. I think it's about Acosta. Uh, you know, I, I hear what you're saying. Um, the reality that we live in is that Lucci loves him some Jesus. So know. you you know Paxton's not going to play in that spot. So for me, Paxton as an eight is intriguing. But to be honest, right now, given uh, I'm not going to use the word fragility, but given where Paxton is, I'm I'm kind of okay not putting him in the middle. He can actually stay away from people a little bit more wide, I think. So I'm okay with it. I think in the, in the long run, maybe like if there was no Acosta, then maybe I'd be interested in having uh, Paxton be in there as the eight all the time. Um, the 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 thing is sometimes, and this is hard for people to get. I, not you, I think you get it, but. Uh, I hear people talk about like, man, I think that guy's at his best in this spot. Well, sometimes you can't do that. Um, sometimes you have to think about how do I get my best guys on the field together? Oh, <laughs> yeah, right? no, I, I the, get it. Yeah, that's the I, key. And, and right now it's like Paxton, they've had problems at wing and Paxton can help solve that problem. And they have quality at the eight spot. They don't need Paxton at the eight spot and they don't need him at the 10 spot. They need him at the wing. So, you know, in the long run, is Paxton going to be a wing? I, I don't know. You know, it depends on whether the coaches change around here or whenever they change again. Um, but in the meantime, I'm, I'm okay with it out there. I mean, certainly right now it's being effective. I, I do like him closer to goal than – Andy wants him to be an eight all the time, but I actually like the fact that he's closer to goal and can score because I think he is a guy who can make special things happen. Now, uh, and I'm sure you'll have more information on your conversation with Lucci later in this episode. Yeah. But do, do we have any? Do we know why he was subbed at half? Was it an injury situation? Because what we saw on television was he was out on mm. the field ready to start and was called off. Yeah. And had a weird little conversation with Lucci, and Lucci kind of like gave him the thinking about it uh, finger to the forehead uh, yeah. uh, gesture, and I, I wondered what was going on there. They mentioned in the post game, apparently he had a little tightness in his hamstring. Uh, here, the, here's the thing about Paxton, and you know this for sure. He will never say he's hurting. He will always say he's great. He's always says he feels great. He will run through a brick wall and tell you he's fine. You have to protect Paxton from himself. And I guarantee you that's the conversation Lucci was having. And if he went to his head, I guarantee you he was saying, dude, be smart. It's a long season. You're coming out of the game. You have to protect that kid from himself. He will kill himself yeah. for the team. You know, and, and that's the beauty. I did a burn on this <laughs> midweek because as much as I hate five subs, it's the rule. So you better use it and you better manage Paxton's minutes and everybody else's minutes. You should have to do, you shouldn't have to do as much squad rotating when you have five subs because you can take out half your team after 60 minutes. And the next week you can take out the other half at 60 minutes and then you can flip flop and you can shift all guys, you know, got all these options you can do because you have five subs. And one of them is 
don't let Paxton kill himself, <laughs> you know, because he will. You know, he will. He'll tell yeah. everybody he's great while he's rubbing his leg about because it hurts, you know. Hey, this is where I pause everything and tell the uh, pod listener that the thing that Buzz refers to as a burn, because I'm going to promote this for him, oh, is uh, Buzz's Patreon uh, feature where he does a daily, like, two or three minute audio uh, little head up, heads up on a particular topic and puts it out only for people who are a particular Patreon level. So uh, it's No, that's stuff. for everybody. Everybody, everybody gets those? Everyone that's a Patreon gets the burn. Yeah, everybody. Oh, okay. So. Yeah. It'll cost you a buck if yeah. you want to, but you should give Buzz more than a buck. So well, thank you. <laughs> uh, there you go. I just yeah. wanted to throw that in there. Thanks. Since, uh, you know what's funny about that is I've actually had a couple of different people that are in the TV or or radio audio business tell me that they're really fascinated and intrigued by it conceptually because people mm. don't often have a time for an hour, hour and a half podcast, but they do have time for like five, six, eight, two minutes. You know? That's right. So that's, what a genius effing idea you had there buzz was it your i think was it your idea i think it was your idea was it it my idea (laughs) i think it was (laughs) maybe it was my idea thanks thanks peter (laughs) dude i i i can't tell you how much uh great glee i get out of hearing people talk about that thing because i don't have good ideas very often buzz so when i have one i like to to revel in it um okay so then we get into the second half now i i do want to bring up a a moment of controversy because mm. we we debated the issue over the Brisson non penalty kick call in the Seattle game. Yeah, I want to point out that uh, I feel like Austin has a reason to be aggrieved, and and this is just because the current way the offside rule is uh, adju- is judged, uh, I think creates a really terrible situation because at one point, uh, uh, I think it's Shun receives the ball, and he is so clearly offside. He goes towards goal. The linesman does not, and again, probably this is how the law is written, and and they were not supposed to do this, does not raise the flag, and it ultimately ends up in a corner kick. I don't know if you remember this sequence. He w- now, now, somebody may shout back at me, no, Peter, it turned out that he was not offside, but based on everything I know at this point, Whoever it was that received the ball, again, I think it was Shun, I was like five yards offside, and I couldn't believe that they didn't call it at that particular moment. Turned into a corner kick for Dallas, which then turned into a goal for Dallas. Yeah. Go ahead. And, and, and I just, and, and I, I, that, that is an element to the, the current writing and, under, and reading of the law that makes me nuts because I don't feel like any team, whether it's my team or anybody else's, should benefit from a guy you know, clearly offside in that situation and then have it ultimately result in a goal because they got a corner kick instead. Yeah. Well, first, uh, when I finally got around to watching the sporting game, I finally got a copy of it. Um, I thought it was funny that the Kansas city commentators said exactly what you did, which about their goal that got disallowed, which was, I hate it, but I kind of get it. Like if you don't go down, you don't get the call, but I hate it. I wish it wasn't like that. And that, which is exactly what you said. I thought that was funny. Uh, but to get to your point, um, this is another thing I did on a burn, uh, was to explain that because of VAR, Major League Soccer has, uh, I don't know whether it's called a rule or a guideline or a referee memorandum or what. It's called um, passive offside. And the linesmen in Major League Soccer are the assistant referees in Major League Soccer, excuse me, let's not slight them, are instructed to not raise the flag if it's even remotely close, 
if it's if the guy's offside by a thousand yards, raise the flag. But if it's even the tiniest bit a chance that it's close, then you'll leave it down. Because, and here's why, if you leave it down and the play continues and the goal is scored, and then it turns out you were wrong and it wasn't offsides, the goal scored. But if you raise it, the play's dead no matter what, even if you were wrong. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. No, I I get it. But here's where I get confused because I swear later in the game there was another incident. Now, it was closer to midfield at this particular moment. But I and I also I I also suspect this was the result of Peter Vermees chewing on this dude's ear for the next (laughs) 20 minutes, Um, like literally climbing him and chewing on his ear. Um, uh, uh, I don't remember who it was on Dallas's right side uh, is clearly offside. And the guy raises his flag immediately, and I'm like, "Well, why didn't you do that 20 minutes ago?" And that's where, and that's where I think the inconsistency yeah. of how they're calling that I think is going to drive everybody. It's bonkers. it's just a judgment call that it's so blatant that they go ahead and call it. And the idea is basically that you can't reverse it, so it's like they're and, and if they if they don't raise it, and then the, a goal never happens, and they just play on and keep going. See, yeah. I've got a solution to that, and nobody's going to like this. But my solution is is that if an if an if assistant referee feels like something is offside, then he should stop. They should stop, raise their flag, and stand there. It is up to the center referee to stop play. So that way, if a goal is scored and the center referee is correct and it was offside, they can come back. Um, no, you can't if, do that because you might need him down in the corner. You know, if you let play continue, now he's standing like 20 yards up the field. He's not there to position. That's why he keeps running. And then if a goal is scored, then he raises his flag and then they talk about it and look at it. Yeah, maybe that's the way to do it. Anyway, yeah. I, I, I just there's got to be a better way to to do that because I, I care. I care nothing about Austin as a team, mm-hmm. but I do continue to hate the way that they're calling these. And um, it's purely a VAR byproduct. I imagine that this system will get refined and maybe tweaked as time goes on, yeah. but it's hundred percent what it is delayed offsides. Yeah. Um, okay. And then, um, uh, what was the other thing? I got a bunch of notes in here. Weird time for Austin to make changes. Oh yeah. What was the Austin like chose the weirdest moment. Wolf made the weirdest decision to make changes. Like right when they were about to take a corner. In fact, it may even been this resulting corner kick. Now that I think about it, Mm. um, where he decided to, I, 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 I'm of the school that you don't make changes when you're lining up for, uh, to defend a corner kick. Oh yeah. No, I agree with that completely. Um, you know, he did sub in all four players, including three DPs and Dallas did score a minute later. So, you know, whether those two things are, I don't remember the exact sequence of events. It absolutely happened within a minute of the, of that sub, you know, even if it wasn't literally on the corner, sometimes when you change four guys, it can take a minute for everybody to get everything straightened out, you know, and Dallas may have taken advantage of that, you know, entirely possible that they weren't, they were sort of disjointed from it. You know, again, five subs, man. If you didn't have five subs, you couldn't sub four guys at once. You know, it's like Wolf did it to himself in a lot of ways on this one. And now he is a new coach, right? I mean, he's not super experienced, so hmm. he did a Lucci. He did. He did do a Lucci. <laughs> he over maybe he overthought. Overthought it. Bit, yeah, man. that's Lucci's um, king of overthinking it. Yeah, the other, the other, and I, I just to go back to shown here for a minute. Um, the, the other note that I have in here was my thought after uh, Obreon came on the field. There's such a clear delineation in the quality between those two guys. Yeah. Um, 
you know, Jadir is clearly faster, but Shone is oddly slickerier. Is that the word? I don't, you, you know where I know I'm what going you mean. with this? Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. Well, you know, I, and his decision making is infinitely oh, better. Yeah, I mean, it'll be ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason why Shun's a starter, right? Yeah. And O'Brien is no longer the starter. You know, uh, listen, you don't have to go far to convince me that O'Brien is not worth a whole lot, but he is still a, you know, arrow in the quiver. You know, and right now, look at it this way. Right now, if you needed to take uh, Paxton off because he had a little hamstring tightness, who else on the bench is beneficial? I mean, you got you got Vargas on there, but he only has moments, right? He doesn't have the whole thing coming together all the time. You got Obreon, who's one dimensional, but at least he never quits. You know, he doesn't sure. doesn't make good decisions, but at least he never quits. Who else are you going to go with? Khalil? Khalil's not really ready. Dante was on, wasn't in the eighteen. Tomasi's playing right back, so it's like there weren't a well, lot of choices at that point. And the other problem, and this is again a roster construction issue. Yeah, is again, it, right? Is, it, is that Obreon's really the only player on the team with any real deadly speed? Yeah, absolutely. Because Pepe's not fast. No, in no. that style, right? Not, not like again. Yeah, yeah. It, it, there's just, I mean, if you, it used to be, there used to be a, you could, uh, uh, Barrios and Castillo were both like wicked fast. Yeah, yeah. One slightly more than the other, but either one of those guys would be the fastest guy in another guy on some other team. But Dallas, yeah. at this point in its, in its, uh, in its life, only has one really truly barn burner, and that's uh, Obreon. Yeah. I mean, when you think about it, though, like the last, the way Lucci's played the last couple of years, they've been wanting to do this slow build kind of stuff. They haven't really had a need for a burner necessarily you only need a burner when it's like you're going to play deep encounter which mm-hmm. is what oscar wanted to do all the time so oscar always wanted those some fast guys verticality was what he liked to call it yeah. um you know and so it's particularly because paxton well paxton's not slow paxton's quick 10 right. yards 15 yards not 60 yards but but paxton doesn't play that way paxton's like ping 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 ping, ping like a like a dodgeball bouncing around and then all of a sudden you bring it over on it's like a track meet you know what i mean so like it's that change of pace is accentuated because they're such different players, you know, now team integration wise, O'Brien's not really there. You know, he's decision making in the final third. It's not awesome, you know, but at, if nothing else, maybe he's keeping people on their heels. You know, he, he kind of pulled that awesome defense apart a little bit, you know, and they were struggling to keep up with him. And he was running down that wing. And, you know, that's an effective tactic as well. Just keeping them off their off their front foot sometimes. So. All right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna come back to a name that we mentioned earlier. Buzz, yeah. did uh, Jesus have a good game against Austin? I thought he had a good second half. Um, I did, you know, which he didn't play the whole second half. I thought his first half was okay. You know, we've talked about this a million times with Jesus when he's coming back too far, when he feels like he's having to come back and overly play defense or come back and try and hunt the ball too much. I thought he was doing a little bit of that too much in the first half. Again, when Acosta came in, it got better. So, you know, Jesus for me always hot and cold is all about how high he is and how much he's getting underneath Pepe and exploring those those gaps and those little pieces. So, you know, he's so hit. It was funny that he was the man of the match for the broadcast. I thought that was odd. He did score a goal. I mean, I got to give you that. It was a nice goal, too. He made a really yeah. good run, although I, I, I have I still want to give most of the credit on that. Uh, 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 to, uh, I think it was shown who dummied the ball, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 Tafari was involved as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it was a cracker of a shot though. I will give him that Yeah, from Jesus. It wasn't, it wasn't a nice goal. I, you know, it wasn't a bad game by Jesus. It wasn't his best, but it wasn't bad. And then quietly over the last, uh, little bit of time, we have seen, uh, the, the player that you predicted would be starting at this position in Tuamase. 
and uh, he's been solid. And I, act, I, I would it be bad of me if I told you I think there's some of his game that's actually better than Che? Yeah, well, absolutely. You know, it comes down to the fact that um, Tuomasi is a converted attacker. So if you want the Lucci ball, modern attacking outside back, and the style of Reggie Cannon and Brian Reynolds, that's Tuomasi. That's what the plan was. If you want, he's like Ryan in a lot of ways too. You know, both sides because Tuomasi can also play as an eight. He also likes to come inside. You know, so if you want that system kind of attacking outside back, he's your guy. You know, with the bold, he led them in. You know, key passes slash chances created. Even though he didn't have the most assists, he still is a guy who can create. So uh, the, that's the part of his game because Justin Shea is as much upside as he has. We talk all the time about how he's a center back and not a right back. Now he has enough athleticism that he can get forward and he does cross. Okay. But he doesn't get forward and then become a pure attacker like Tuomasi does. Now Tuomasi probably is not quite the defender, especially one-on-one like bodying up on people. He's got enough pace, certainly. So, you know, he's going to need help from the inside from Tafari. But so does Justin Che because Justin Che is still inexperienced enough that he gets caught out of position from time to time. So, um, you know, Justin is more of a traditional, like when Oscar first took over the kind of outside backs that Oscar had, when he and Che outside backs, it looks like that, like Ghana, uh, Grana, you know, or some of those guys, as opposed to the flying kind of guys that Lucci seems to like. So it'll be a really interesting question because Che's going to be back in training Monday. So mm-hmm. it's going to be super interesting next week to see if Che walks in or whether it's like Tuomasi's playing pretty good. I think he looks really good as the kind of outside back that Lucci likes. So I don't I don't know that he'll give that spot up right away because I think he looks really good. And then again, we mentioned this earlier in the when we started talking about the game is Ryan uh, Hollingshead had a real uh, black and white game. I, 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 you, you were really, really high on him in your post game reaction. Yeah, I, I, and I was really worried that we had we were seeing one of his worst performances up until he scored the goal, and it was a little redemptive for him. Yeah, you know the the trick is is that um, in this particular team you know he's going up mostly against Fagundes in that half who's a good player Ryan had a stretch of about um three or four games where he was getting kind of making some mental mistakes and he kind he kind of over the next few games he kind of concentrated on the defense and he kind of cleaned a lot of that up uh and then this game he went back to trying to be more offensive so what I particularly liked was that there was a more of a balance and his game, that it wasn't like either all defense or all offense. And that's what I want to see from him, particularly in this in this 4-4-1-1 kind of shape thing that they're doing with Shun in front of him. You know, he doesn't need to go crazy up the field anymore with Shun up there. So uh, I, I did not notice all the giveaways in the first half. I just thought, for the oh, most yeah. part, he was a two-way player. And that's the kind of player that I, I want out of that uh, position. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I stopped counting it four if not five where he would get the ball into kind of the final towards the final third and he'd look to play a lateral ball and he'd play it and he would take too long to do it and Austin would just cut it out each time and then suddenly the counter was on and there you see him having to run and, and you <laughs> yeah. know and and then here's the other problem there were a couple of moments where he was very unryan like where he made the turnover and he didn't track back and suddenly yeah. uh, Austin was in a in a good position to do something now 
Thankfully, Austin is so bad, at least that version of Austin, which isn't their best, you know, best 11. They were just so bad across the field that they could never do anything with it. Um, uh, but but again, he scored the goal and, he, and you could tell how delighted he was. And it yeah. was, a, by the way, it was a nice little finish. So uh, kudos to Ryan. He was a little low, you know, uh uh, who scored had him as their best player for Dallas, highest rated, but that's because really? he, he's just, well, you know, they 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 skew when somebody scores, particularly a defender. But um, he passed at eighty percent, which is a little low. You want to see him closer to ninety, but uh, he also had you know two key passes and um, he had two successful dribbles. You know, so he was doing some things a little bit both ways. You know, and, and maybe wasn't quite as crisp with the passing as you'd like. I'll, I'll give you that, but. Um, I didn't, I didn't really, you know, I thought he, I mean, out of 61 passes, I mean, that's, he had a lot of touches too. That was a high volume game for him. 74. And that was one of the, you know, right up there with the high, you know, Brisson had 75. So, you know, that was the top touches of a, out of a defender. So there was a lot of play through Ryan, mm-hmm. you know, more opportunities to give it away. <laughs> One, right. three aerials that led the team too. That's crazy. You know, so uh, pretty good game. All right. Well, then uh, Brisson did finally give up his stupid yellow card, so yeah. he's out uh, in the yeah. game against yeah. Kansas. It was a really bad. I mean, I, look, uh, I know there's a lot of reasons to like Brisson because he really seems to enjoy being here and wearing the jerseys, but that cat makes, for being one of the more veteran players on this team, he makes a litany of really bad decisions. Yeah, he's just inconsistent. You know, it's like at the beginning of the year we were talking about how he was often the best defender on the team, you know, for a few games here and there. You know, it wasn't every time, but it was pretty consistent. And it was Hedges that was having a couple moments when he was playing hurt. And it was Martinez when he started to labor and Brisson was carrying the defense. But the last couple of day, games, Brisson, I, I don't know whether he's starting to get the summer, uh, you know, breakdowns or, or what's happening. But he's definitely, uh, you know, he, he managed to go three or four games without getting a yellow card. So he didn't get suspended, thank goodness, because we would have been looking at Kaiser Gomez, Gomez playing center back. Uh, <laughs> Uh, which would have been a little early for that, but um, you know, thankfully Tafari's playing off his mind. But um, you know, there's a pr- pretty easy solution to Brisson being suspended. Yeah, man, uh, all hail Tafari, uh, which oh. is such a great story. It's probably my favorite story of the season so far. In fact, I think Emma, I don't remember who posted. The, did you see the photo of him running alongside somebody else, and he had the most crazy ass looking look on his face? <laughs> I did not. It was just pure passion and it was great it was fantastic and uh what a good good story and he's played so well and it is really interesting to note that you know we're at a point in the season where they have been you know not losing games with Brisson and Tafari as their center backs and now oh, yeah. it just looks like he's close to coming back I don't know how far I'm sure you're going to tell us how far Martinez is but Lucci's got some decisions to make, and I'll be—I'll—I will be more surprised if he sits to Farai than if he keeps one of the other two guys on the bench for a long period of time. I think there's no way he sets him because you know right now, like one of his weaknesses, you know, would have been passing. I mean, that, but now he's up at ninety percent clip, you know, seventy touches. You know, the the clearances are there. The defense is there. And his range is unbelievable. His pace is to recover and to help out on the outside is fantastic. His game reading is really good. I mean, I hate I hate to tell you this, Peter, but like if you're a if you're a foreign coach scouting this team and you want to look at a defender like, oh, does Dallas have any defenders that can help me? You can take a look at that guy and be like, look at the pace, the size, the strength, the power, the range. Man, I can coach that dude up. 
Yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and when you talk about his improving his passing, is it he's just stopped making those passes that were probably uh, low, uh, low they're high risk, low value passes, those long balls that he was trying to do when he first got there. He's not doing that anymore. He's now just kind of sticking to more of the, the the more confident passing, the more yeah. uh, likely stuff. So I mean, he'll still try some things, but and he has gotten better at it. But he's also just making better choices in that game. In that yeah, part of the game, he's even trying to sneak forward a little bit from time to time and getting involved in stuff when he feels like he's cleared Isn't to he do on so. Two assists in the last two games. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, what's Look not to like? What about it, that for a center back? Yeah. That's how it should be. I mean, listen, the, what, what you want is, look, they drafted a kid, and he sat around on the bench for a year. We had no idea. Even like uh, two months ago, we had no idea if he could play. He finally got the opportunity, and he took it. And he, like, he every game he made – now, the first game was a little raw. Second game, still a little, you know, but better. And every oh. single game, it was a measurable step forward. And now we're to a point where we're talking about you would keep him in over any other defender that this team has. That's how oh, good he's been. The progression yeah. is. Uh, uh, well, I mean, I I literally cannot think of another player who has stepped into the team and progressed as quickly. I mean, I, I mean, I'm yeah. sure there is somebody, and I'm forgetting off the top of my head. But tell me, the last guy came in and under his circumstance and progressed as quickly as Tafari has. Uh, I mean, even even like Reggie, like that whole first season, like the first third of the season he kept he was making big mistakes mental yeah. mistakes you know and, and as good as reggie became it was like it was a rough start i mean defense so much about defense and this is the reason why you have like a chiellini play until he's 40 you know so much of defense can be about the mind can be about the brain that's why you can play there often longer than you can further up the field you know and that's what's some of the things that's so great about his progression is that he always had the size and the power and the speed and the pace and it was like it's the mental part that is so clearly advanced, the decision-making, the choices, the, the recognition of what a deficiency was. I, I would see him after practice working extra on things that we all knew were deficiencies. You know, the guy works hard and he works at it and he tries to improve his craft. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It is good stuff. Well, it was always fun uh, for uh, to win against the uh, very attention-starved Austin FC. Now, the one thing that was topping my notes that I wanted to talk about, and I saved to the very end, Uh-oh. because it has nothing to do with the game, was is um, obviously I was not there. I was watching it on television, and I turned on the TV, and they start the game, and I'm thinking to myself, we get like two or three minutes into the game, and I'm thinking... Why are why are they shooting this from the camera that's at the top of section 106 and not from the press box? It's the mid I don't know what you in the TV gear in the TV world call that position, Buzz. What do you call that? Well, it's the game camera, you know, the one usually it's up at the press box level. Sometimes they will put it down on the lower level. Okay, but so the the, the lower level versus the upper level don't have different uh, nomenclature to them? No, it's just, They're just upper the game lower. Camera. Okay. Yeah, it's well, still the game camera. So I started I started seeing them myself. I'm like, why are they shooting from a lower angle all this action? Because they never do that. They always use the camera that's up in the press box. And um, I was it was bothering me. I was like, this is because one, I don't like that particular angle. I like the the higher angle because you get to see more of the field and et cetera, et cetera. And uh, a friend of mine that was at the game sent me a picture and he sent me a picture of how uh, the front office had boxed all of the Austin FC supporter group fan, which was about 2000 of them all in the upper uh, rows in the northeast corner of the stadium. And it dawned on me. 
and wondered openly if, in fact, somebody, because they were the, you know, they own the production of this TV broadcast, if somebody at Dallas didn't tell the producer and director, hey, use the lower angle camera and do everything in your power to keep them off, off the TV broadcast. Well, because you could not see that group of 2,000 people almost at all the entire broadcast. Yeah, I, I, would, I would 100% believe that they were attempting to keep Austin off the broadcast. I totally believe that. I would tell you that the camera moving actually makes that harder. It's easier to really? not show them from the higher angle because you can point the camera straight down at the field. So why would they use the lower angle camera then? Well, it just depends like on... Uh, my guess is that Austin brought people up here and did stuff from the booth, which limits the amount of space in the booth. And then you have to move the camera out. That's my uh, guess. I, I was not involved, but that's my guess. My because conspiracy it, theory is ruined. Yeah. Well, no, no. I totally buy the conspiracy theory of don't show the Austin fans. I totally believe that 100%. But the camera moving is not would be a detriment to that. Not because if it went, just think about it. If the camera's down low, you're shooting more horizontally across the field. You're more likely to get the top of the stands. When you're higher up, you can shoot straight down at the field and go no stands at all. So it's actually easier to crop them out if you're in the high position. I see. Okay. But, but I still believe your theory that they intentionally show, chose not to show them. I'd buy that hundred percent. Okay. So yeah. I, I made that comment on Twitter and a lot of people uh, called it a, a genius move. And you know, I'm really torn about that because it seems very counterintuitive to me to act. I mean, if in fact, and again, we're guessing here, right? We're speculating. Yeah. And I want to be fair about that. But if in fact it turns out that they did actively do that, doesn't that seem counterintuitive? I mean, if I was at the league level, I'd be pissed yeah. that a team traveled 2,000 people and you're trying to hide that fact. Well... There's two And by the way, what you ended up seeing instead were a bunch of empty seats because yeah. you didn't travel your your own home people didn't show up until like, you know, after yeah. the second half started. Well, in the early days of MLS, they they would try never to show empty seats if possible. That's, you know, but you should do that anyway because who cares about the seats? Um, show the field. The, the that's a pet peeve of mine about seeing all these people up in the stands. It's like just frame the field and cut that other crap out. The mm -hmm. the thing is is that uh, the broadcast these days, uh, I don't think I'm giving away secrets here. The broadcast these days, because there's a lot of shared elements due to the pandemic, um, even though the home show is doing the production, there's a lot of remote teams that are taking just the feed and adding talent. That's just the way it is right now when you can't really travel people. So you're supposed to do, from the league's instructions, you're supposed to do a relatively neutral show, even though... Technically, it's your broadcast. Now, in every other scenario, you do your show and the road team does their show and they can make it as biased as they want because the show belongs to them. And mm -hmm. technically, that's true. It's Dallas's broadcast. They can make it as biased as they want to. You're kind of right now supposed to help out the other team. So it'll just depend on some teams bring a single camera that's theirs. So maybe you have to be, worry less about them. Sometimes they might um, – sometimes you just run into crews that where the home team is not as helpful as you would like them to be. That does occasionally happen. Um, in this case, I'm sure that the Dallas organization probably felt like we shouldn't show a whole bunch of Austin FC fans. You know, 
the, the smart decision in my mind is that to put them all on the top of the section because in theory you're supposed to show the game anyway and you only want you're only going to get like a couple of rows of bleed over on the front this is the reason why they put those fake ads at the bottom of the stands during the uh covid the games COVID stuff, right? you know the, yeah. they didn't bother to put them all the way up they just put them at the bottom because right. you're only going to get the bottom five or six rows so making the austin fans all sit at the top means you're not going to see them so you really didn't have to do a whole lot to not see them you know so mm-hmm. i'm sure that was part of <laughs> i guarantee you somebody with dallas was like don't show them i oh, I, yeah. I just well, know it i mean i don't even have to know it to know you know what i mean yeah, no, I get it. And this is also, by the way, the same club that moved their supporters group completely off camera altogether. So, yeah, <laughs> that's it's it's fascinating to me that for one of the very rare times in that stadium's history, there was an actual supporters group battle going on, and it was by and large completely absent from the TV broadcast. Yeah, yeah. And I just think that's counterintuitive to what the league's trying to build. That's that's kind of my point to all that stuff. Now, oh, I, I agree. Know. Selling game to atmosphere is one of the best parts about the most useful parts about broadcasts, and they don't do a very good job of it. Hmm. All right. Well, uh, anyway, the good news all we should really care about is the result, and it was uh, Dallas to Austin nothing. Mm-hmm. And uh, that means up next is a visit from Sporting Kansas City. Well, before we and, go on, do you want to oh, bring in Dan and see if he has uh, oh, any uh, Austin? Did Dan finally show up? It looks like it, yeah. Hello. Hey, oh, Dan. A little hot I'm coming you, in sir. hot. Yeah. <laughs> we love it when you're hot. I leave him right like that, Buzz. You can yeah. hear him clearly and, and well. Don't do that. Don't do that at all. So how long have you been lurking in the background, Dan? Uh, last five or so minutes. Would you like to throw any uh, particular post uh, uh, win over Austin thoughts? Uh, I, you know, I didn't catch the game talk, so I'm just going to go back and listen to what Buzz said and treat it as gospel. I actually haven't <laughs> seen the last 20 minutes of the game either. What? What, what um, about what, anything I said about the game, Dan? Yeah, that too. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, no, I will say one thing. I uh, will say the uh, away fans. That's actually where they put the Houston fans as well. I just didn't know if that was going to be like the designated section this season, but I guess maybe it is. I suppose so. There was far yeah. more Austin fans than there was Houston fans. That's for sure. That's true. Yeah. Uh, I guess I will ask you, I'm Dan. I know you didn't go to the game, but you are in those circles because I know you were covering the Denton game instead. Um, is there any kind of like uh, after the fact um, stories to tell about how the Austin fans and the Dallas fans dealt with each other out and around the stadium before and afterwards? Uh, it doesn't sound like they did. Oh, okay. There was no no tussling, no no because you know Houston used to come to town and we'd always end up hearing about police being called and people getting in fights. Yeah, well, that's a rivalry. That's different. <laughs> Buzz, this is, Buzz, did you see how I set him up? Did you see yeah. how slowly and high I, I pitched that softball to Dan? Did you like that? I appreciate oh, it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I like that you had the little tracer on the ball and everything. That's, you can see it, yeah. It was, it was bright yellow. And, I mean, it's you, not a rivalry. <laughs> you, yeah, I mean, you crushed it. Well, it's, it's not. Two, in two or three years, maybe a rivalry develops. But, I mean, just because some um, people have a Slack channel where – they get a little ding every time someone tweets about Austin FC and then they go and say nasty things. That doesn't make a rivalry. 
Yeah. That just makes for some really sad people. <laughs> well, it was just so easy to get Dan revved up. Good Lord. It was awesome. Oh, yes. You know, you, you would not want to have a channel like that for FC Dallas because it would be an endless streams of people talking about the FC Dallas U15 team beating the U.S. Someone's national team. <laughs> and that's it. And like the like the Twitter that you have, there are people signed up to a Slack channel, and they've bragged about this to the FC Dallas supporters groups because they thought initially it was such a wonderful idea that they get dinged, and then they can, you know, there's certain terms. Um, Sad FCD fans actually sent me an example of it. It was like eight tweets, all the same verbiage on each one, responding to someone who said something about Austin FC and it's like that's a strategy of theirs to kind of make it seem like the attention is so much greater than it is and you know what fair enough if it works great it's bloody annoying but if it works eventually and someone actually gives a crap about them then more power to them I guess well I you know we we had a a, a rather uh fun discussion on our channel on our, our whatever our group chat chat we had about the uh the new austin podcast verde and black and every time i hear that phrase it i just laugh because it's just so ridiculous to me that for all of the good things whether you like it or not you have to admit it's worked in terms of generating um generating you know fan sales and ticket sales and so forth you know the branding that austin has done by and large is really good but the fact that somebody somewhere along the way decided that they had to name, they had to go with Verde and Black because they're, for all the obvious reasons, don't want to use the, the, the word Negro. Um, it just is so weird to me that they, they even let it get that far. And I, I and I, I, I don't know. I, it probably, it's not even worth bringing up or talking about. But I, I, sometimes I think for all the good things they did, that just makes them look ridiculous. Peter, when they can't pronounce Verde properly, they're not going to pronounce Negro properly. He's, How do they pronounce though, it? Know? Am I pronouncing it correctly? Well, you don't say Verde. Oh. <laughs> I, I have to admit that I didn't know that it was a podcast. I thought that's just what they called their colors. Well, they did, but now they're calling the that's how that's what brought it up again. Is they po they posted something on social media the other day that they were announcing their podcast, and it's called Verde and Black. And I'm thinking, why would you do that? Why would you paint yourself in that corner? It's that's an FC Dallas move, quite honestly. Yeah, it it it's very strange. And and look, I, I if if you were afraid, if you're committed to sticking with Verde, like why didn't you just say you know call it uh, uh, Viva Verde or just stick with the green element, right? Don't well, if you're really worried about Negro and Black, then then set that off to the side and don't deal with it. Oh, it's team produced, Adrian Healy. Yeah, oh. it's their own official podcast. Oh, who wants to listen to that? <laughs> I'm sure the podcast is fine. I just, yeah. the name of it is just so ridiculous to me. It's so soft and just like, uh, so soft. it's very soft. And it just, it drove me nuts when I saw How it. How many ply is it? Huh? How many ply? Oh, uh, it's like no more than two, Dan. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. It's very thin. So like soft, it, but low quality. It's like the Sam's Club uh, bargain <laughs> tissue. It's not Charmin. It's not my beloved Charmin that I must have at all times in my life. Should yeah. I just go? Because the conversation's definitely got lower. No, since... this is much better. This okay. is, uh, it's got way better since you... The you community value back. went up. That's I'll right. go back to the FW. It'll be fine. I'll just wait for a flight that's not coming. <laughs> 
Um, okay, so uh, we did get that stuff out of the way. Can we now, Buzz, move yeah. on to talking about uh, um, <clears throat> um, Her- Herman Vermees and yeah. uh, his troops trumping in? Because here's the deal. I don't know if anybody uh, really cares or was paying attention, but last night uh, uh, Herman Vermees decided to tank his team's uh, cup chances because he wanted to make sure he had his best 11 for his trip to Dallas. Which cup was it? Was it the League's Cup? League's Cup, yeah. Right, who cares they got, about that? They got, they got crushed. Yeah, they, they were did. like the 6-1. The It's Not a Friendly Cup. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, sometimes when you squad rotate, you get wrecked. So, you know, there you go. Well, he even talked Unless about that. Unless you do it against FC Dallas. Unless you're New York. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know... What, I, we don't have Briston. His hedges back. Yeah. So oh, yeah. Start the game. Yep. Yeah. Hedges is in. Uh, you know, he, Hedges and Martinez are both cleared and both participating. Um, but based on what I saw today, hundred percent Hedges is in, and Hedges will be on the left because Tafari will keep his right center back spot next to uh, Majoma. Not Majoma. Excuse me. To Amasi. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Straight. Straight Hedges up. He's ready. He's good. Yep. Ryan's. Uh, you know, we're, we're, this is the time of year. This is a slight caveat. This is the time of year where guys have knocks. So on the day of the game, all of a sudden there could be like one change you didn't see coming just because a guy like stiffened up or something. It can happen, but it's Hedges, Ryan, Tafari, and uh, Tuomasi across the back. Mauer's still in. Yeah. So, we, you know, it, it feels like, and to be fair, because we were all guilty of this, it was several weeks ago, we looked at the schedule and we went through and we we're all like, man, it's oh, yeah. like one point out of the rest of the season. That'll be great. <laughs> and they've, they've, bl- they've, you know, they've poked us right in the face uh, by going on this unbeaten streak. And I know this is going to sound like, oh, well, guys, you said that a few weeks ago, but they really do need to win these next two home games yeah. against two of the best teams in the West because... Uh, the the rest of the schedule really starts to get hairy again after that. Well, this is the real stretch. Is the two home games, and then it's six of seven on the road. And so six and this. Listen, Dallas. If you guys follow us on Twitter, you saw that graph we posted. How everybody in the league has a huge home field winning percentage and stinks on the road. It's everybody. Yeah. The difference between good teams and bad teams is how you do on the road. And this team has stunk on the road, and they have six of seven coming on the road. Now, when we were doing our points thing, we neglected to remember that Luigi owns Vermees. So that we forgot to factor that in. And then, you know, they carried that over, that positivity, a little bit to the Seattle game. But now they're going to get both those teams now pissed. They're going to come back here. So these two home games become really, really important. Um only because of the six of seven coming up on the road. Now, the opposite of that, of course, is you end with a nice homestand. But by then, it's going to be, you know, if you if you manage to get a couple points in these next two home games and then carry some positivity to those road games and maybe try and get a couple of things going. I mean, you're playing Houston and Austin on the road. There's some chances there. San Jose is not that great. You know, you got Houston twice. In fact, Vancouver is not that great. So there's among the road games is some opportunity. Maybe if you're feeling good about yourself, that's why these two games are huge. Yeah. And I would say that if they do end up getting, even if they just get four points out of these two home games, yeah, as much as we hate road games and they haven't been good to your point, Buzz, it's at Houston, at Austin, at Salt Lake. Those are three games 
that somewhere in there, maybe you'd like to get a point or four points maybe out of, you know, if you could walk away with a win loss and a tie out of those, that's, you know, I, I guess the, the oddity of all this is is that several weeks ago we went through this entire list and we were struggling to come up with, you know, four points over the course of the rest of the season. And now our attitude has changed so much that now we're thinking about, well, we could get four points at home in these two games and there's a, you know. It's so, a completely different team. It is. Yeah. And it's a different team without DPs. Yeah. It's amazing, right? Play the it kids. Play yeah. the kids well we can go back to my list you remember of the things that were there were like five things right it was the wings they fixed that they got the six in they solved right back initially with che and now even more so to amasi center backs got healthy i mean all those things happened look look where the team is oh they benched hard for poppy peppy that they did those five things and they're fine so well, I'm glad they listened to you. Speaking of that, I understand that you, <laughs> that's a uh, coincidence. To, you, 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 or, or was it? Or was it? Uh, yeah. Because uh, you also need to uh, report back to everybody your conversation with Lucci today. Yeah. Well, um, let's let's before I do that, let's let's finish talking about sporting because I think oh, okay. if you go back to the game where they had success, I think you'll recognize that they'll want to try and replicate some of those th- same things, and I think. With the first, when you combine that with the first half of the Austin game, I think that means that Edwin Surio is likely to start with next to Faku. That really? that's that's going to be another change over Ricarte because you know Lucci, uh, you know on the road he put Edwin in there and Edwin and I'm, I even talked about at the time that idea of Edwin stepping forward onto their six. Remember we had that we talked about on the podcast um, and that element that that play that that shape worked. Uh, and then Bocarte wasn't great in the first half the other day, and Acosta has not lit it up since he came back. So that's the other change I think is going to happen. All right, so moving on to conversation with Lucci, the first thing is that Johnny Nelson is uh, hurt. I, I, I don't want to it's, – it's vaguely related to something in the back. Now, I'm not a doctor, and I imagine the team officially will eventually say what this specific injury is. And I don't want to try and guess it's something related to his back. You know, for all I know, he's just strained it or something. Who knows? But he's not available, apparently. Um, but Justin Che will be back Monday, which doesn't help for this game, of course. And Benny Redzik is the other hurt player who's close to being able to run again, which is important in terms of playing soccer. So um, conversation with Lucci. Yeah, you know, the, I, I did ask him about the Vermees thing and we had a little chuckle about it. And it's just basically just, he thinks it's kind of a coincidence. That, you know, he respects the guy as a coach and they try and beat him. So they just happen to have had success with it. I don't, I don't know that there's anything more to it than that. Um, you know, the, they really like, I think, the gist of the conversation a lot was they really like the things that are happening and things that we talked about on this podcast. You know, the, the way Shun is come in and, and added that element similar to Paxton. And those two guys have added that element, the element similar to Paxton. The idea that Jesus, when he's higher, has that ability to get into the box and do dangerous things, which we saw in the second half against Austin. You know, I, I still don't agree with him about he wants that two more defensive-minded players in there in that double six look. I still think one of them can be more progressive. Ideally, that would be Acosta. Because we see when we watch Faco and Surreal do it together that Faco tends to try and go forward and become that guy. And that's not necessarily his perfect game. And Surreal tries to do it a little bit too. And again, that's not really his game. So it's a little bit of a stretch for me that that's the way to go. But 
Um, I think they're convinced that what they did last time against Kansas City was super effective and, and super good, and that's what they want to continue with. Um, and then other than that, you know, we talked a little bit about, um, you know, I asked them what you we talked about some here was with all these veterans now are on the bench and they're not playing, you know, and but he, he complimented all of them in terms of their professionalism and how their you know, Hara and Ricarte and O'Brien are all competing and ready to play. And Vargas is starting to show a little bit. And he actually said he had a conversation with the kid and he's really determined to try and you know, show some things and make some progression and get back to maybe where he was in the spring. And um, so when you have a lot of, po- it's easy as a coach when things are going well, and this is kind of the takeaway from the whole conversation today, when things are going well, it's easy to manage people because it's hard. If you're on the bench, it's hard to say, man, I should be starting when the team's winning, you know, Pepe's banging in all those goals. It's hard for a guy like hard to say, Oh, I should be starting dude. Pepe's got eight goals and you got two. Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, there's a lot of positivity around the team. Everyone's feeling really good about the way things are going. You know, they're getting a couple of pieces that have been hurt are starting to come back. And they really feel like the vibe I got from sort of watching training and listening and even talking to Lucci was just how they think there's now an opportunity to write the season and get right back in the mix. Because if they can win these two games or at least get four, as you said, out of these next two that people will start to take them a little more seriously. And then if they can carry some of that mojo and get a few points, as we discussed over this next stretch and get to the back half of the season, when they load up on home games again, they'll have an opportunity to get back in the playoffs. So, you know, it's pretty, it's a pretty positive, pretty good time around the team right now. We'll have to see if they can maintain it, you know, well, that game is uh, coming up a Saturday night at Toyota Stadium. Uh, should be a good time for all. Uh, I think it starts at 7.30, and again, it's on uh, Texas 21. All right, uh, let's see. We'll stick with FC Dallas information first before we get to Dan's part in all of this. Uh, out of, not out of the blue, and Buzz, you've been talking about this for a while. Although yeah. The circumstances and details around this, I'm befuddled by to no end is that Dante Seeley is on loan now to PSV uh, on a two-year loan. Yeah, they made it official today. Um, you know, this, this is a move that I've been expecting for like three years, <laughs> you know, because Dante's gone there a time or two before, you know, and this was one of the places that they have been lining up basically for a long time. Uh, you know, and he even went there a few like a month ago, was it when he posted that picture? And I thought maybe he'd blown it by posting that picture, but yeah. Um, you know, it, it was from the people that I've talked to about it. It was just a question of, it wasn't inevitable, but it was like they real, all parties wanted it to happen. It's just that working out the details were, was complicated. And I think you can see that in the two year part. Cause that's unusual. I feel, and there is a buy in it written in it, which is good you know, for Dallas. So I feel like maybe that they want to kind of invest in the kid a little bit and see how he reacts. You know, the one nice thing uh, for him will be that he wasn't getting consistent minutes here, you know, and, and the North Texas option wasn't really going to help him very much. So this will be a, a situation where he can go to their reserves or U23 team and be the star and, you know, and they'll, they'll really push his development and see what happens. And if they buy him great, if they don't, and he comes back, it'll been a good experience and we've learned a lot. The, the real fascinating takeaway for me is that, um, you know, just reading tea leaves and talking to people, 
I feel like Dallas was wanted to defend their turf a little bit. Uh, and we're like, we're not going to give them away for nothing. Just as we've seen them do right now with Justin Che, right? Isn't that, we keep seeing these reports of Byron wanted him and Dallas was like, oh, well, you know, you got to, we, we kind of want to keep him. You know, you got to going to have to pony up a little more money. So it seems like maybe Dallas is pushing back a little bit right now on these transfers of, of maybe we gave away Richards too cheaply. And maybe now if you want our guys, we know our guys are good. Now you're going to have to come, a little more now, you know, so that for me is the big fascinating takeaway from this whole scenario. And I don't have any strict evidence for that. I just have like these impressions based on these pushbacks and the, and the delays on these moves and how long they took, you know, they're not, they're not simple sometimes to work out monetarily. So good for Sealy. Hopefully it does well. Good for him. And the uh, Academy starts training here soon. Yeah, the the academy started. The older team started on August second. The they'll they'll be getting into preseason stuff already. Um, I I was able to dig out a little bit of information about who's with what teams, and I put all that into my academy preview article. Um, I did not really dig into like which one of those guys might be with North Texas relatively soon. Obviously, Corcoran's the one who has been there this year. I, I think right now most of the academy guys are not going to be with North Texas because they're really struggling. You know, if North Texas was doing better, they would have room for some of those academy guys. And we also have a little bit of a gap. You know, Corcoran is only 14, 15 years old. So, you know, it's no rush with him, you know, and the guys that are of the same sort of age coming up that are, there's a couple of guys that are going to be in the 19s that are going to kick around North Texas a little bit, but I don't think they will be a core part of the thing going the rest of this season as much. So um, it's just exciting to get back into the MLS next season. And I love the academy stuff and hopefully everybody enjoyed that article. Oh my gosh, it's some of the best content you put out every year. I, I love it, and everybody should read it if you care anything about the club. Well, thank you. All right, well, Dan, you as we said earlier, you were not at FC Dallas's win over Austin. You were uh, at the more exciting adventure up in Denton with the Diablos. Oh, it was a national championship, yeah. Uh, yeah, Denton hosting the MPSL national championship. It has been an absolute crying shame that every one of those playoff games clashed with an FC Dallas home game because that is a fantastic team to watch and they uh, really deserve a little bit extra support. Uh, Although that said, they did have 2,400 people out at Denton High School on Saturday for the uh, the championship game. A couple of hundred, well, no, a few dozen people came up down from Tulsa. Wow. for Tulsa Athletic, there was uh, back and forth smoke bombs. There was banners cheering. It was a lot of you know uh, two two good little supporters groups there um, with the Harbingers and whatever Tulsa's one is called. Um, you know um, Denton, they they're considered a second half team, but something they've uh, habit they've got into lately is uh, getting two goals inside the first 10 minutes. And sure enough, again, that happens. Um, Anthony Powell, ex-sidekick, uh, just catches the keeper off guard. Keeper Looks like he has a simple save of a shot from outside the area, and he just kind of drops it over his head. Um, hmm. Yeah, A couple minutes later, uh, Captain Owen Weirin pops up with a header on a corner, and then the fight back begins. You know, it's a good back-and-forth tie. Um Tulsa pull back too. They have another disallowed. Suddenly, it's uh, it's not looking so hot for the home team. But uh, you know they 
you know, like like they said them say themselves, they're a second half team. Trevor Aman, who is the uh, team's top scorer after scoring seven, no, sorry, nine goals in the five playoff games, and forced an own goal. So that's amazing. So close. Yeah, yeah, he scored six in the regular season and nine in the playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> gamer I, what the hell yeah <laughs> um yeah he's he's one of the guys from midwestern state uh talked to him after the game he was like yeah i think i'm one of the, the best in the country when i really get my game going at, at, at this level and it's like yeah i kind of saw that yeah <laughs> yeah and his teammate uh, won the golden boot for the golden ball yeah, sorry sam, golden ball yeah sam code uh he he uh, got injured in their first playoff game, so he missed the last couple. Unfortunately, he missed that meant uh, he also missed the ceremony to give him the golden ball. Oh, um, kind of. We were joking in the press box that Damon should go and accept it on his behalf and then celebrate a bit. But, <laughs> you know, he already had the 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 Chisholm Trail belt, the mm-hmm. West Region Championship, and then the MPSL Championship. So he had he had his hands full. Uh, well, I'm, I appreciate the game report. Uh, congratulations to the Diablos and their uh, owner, Damon, who does a great job promoting his club. Uh, that's a cool little organization. Uh, I'm a proud owner of a Denton Diablos T-shirt that I bought back when they first launched the thing, and I love wearing it. So uh, congratulations to those guys. And I'm, I, I have to admit I do carry a, a small level of shame that I have yet to go to a game, um, and, but I'll have to correct that. He owes me a hoodie. <laughs> also shout out to mpsl because the media goodie bag was really cool and had the most kit nerdy thing they gave us sleeve patches oh wow that is uh, cool yeah. like I the rubber ones off the jerseys for some reason uh, i understand that there's some phenomenal advertising board material at that uh, venue as well well there is there is a it's seen better days but that third degree one's still sitting there in the corner yeah well, it was in the video i uh, I, I took a screen grab of it because i was watching the highlight video and i was like what does that board say is that buzz's logo and yeah i'll be damned they do a little uh third degree promotion out there for you buzz so that's yeah, good did you exciting. pay for that no no it's uh you just paid for it with your passion for the game well we you know we we uh cover mpsl like it's a real deal because it is and we support local is. soccer so we're the you know if you will unofficial media partner of uh the, some of the local mpsl teams so they gave us a sign board in the sense like you know like the dallas morning news does the little thing at the at the twitter or whatever so yeah. that was our our little support local soccer you know thing all right well i guess uh, that means we have to keep covering them now don't it yeah. Well, we, we have to keep covering because we support local soccer, not because they give us that a signboard. <laughs> okay, on, on to the Roja League. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, um, gentlemen, I am uh, a sleepy dude because I'm doing this on the back of doing a two-hour uh, preview show on the on the ticket. So um, I'm tired and I'm uh, Hey, what be a preview? I'm halfway through the season. That's true. Well, that's a different set of seasons. Damn. Did you pick Newcastle to get relegated again? I did not, no. Yes. I did, I did not. I picked uh, Crystal Palace, I picked Burnley, and Brentford. Those sound like good picks to me. Yeah. Do you like those picks, Dan? No, because Watford wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> I specifically did not relegate them because of you, because you hate them so much. What the hell is wrong with you? <laughs> hey, by the way, my one little tiny EPL bit is that the kid... From FCD and Solar, who plays for Norwich, is actually 
got into uh, made his Tompkinson. Tompkinson made his first team debut in the preseason. I don't know if he's going to make their squad for the actual season, but he did make his first team debut in the preseason. So super cool for him. So hopefully he'll he'll be in some games this season. That'd be great. I'm saying he doesn't have to be registered. He's under the age. Okay, I I don't know how all that works. I just you know I I know he made his debut, so I'm hoping that we'll see him get into a game during the season. That'd be awesome. Your local kid make it. Yeah, it was funny because I think we talked about this on the show because what was really cool about it was his dad was in attendance and took a picture of him uh, and posted it online of uh, when he was subbing in for his first appearance. And I thought, how cool is that? Your dad gets to be there and take your picture when you're getting subbed into your first Premier League level game. Wow. Gosh, that would be cool. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, on to the interstitial. Soccer 90 is your sponsor of Third Degree, the podcast, and your source for all your FC Dallas, U.S. national team, and international club gear. You might want something from Chivas or Juventus or Chelsea or any other number of clubs, or you may want some of that new wacky-looking USA gear. You can get it at Soccer90.com, and because you are a third-degree listener, you're going to get 25% off your order, which means you can just buy more stuff, right? Uh, When you use the code third degree at checkout at soccer90.com well daniel thank you for showing up uh late because it's always good to have you on the pod it's better with you than without you sir um likewise thanks (laughs) energy low yeah energy low and buzz uh good good week of stuff from you too sir Thanks, man. And you guys should all make sure and tune in next week because there just maybe might be something special with Soccer 90 next week. Maybe. <gasps> oh, Wait, what does yeah. that mean? We'll see. Mm. Um, we'll see. And we're going to do mid-season, pre, uh, predict- or, uh, mid- mid-season awards next week? Oh, we were going to do that this week. Well, let's do it next week. We'll do it next week. Okay. We'll do it next week. Please. Yeah, yeah next week's fine. we got two games next week. Sweepy. we got two <laughs> games next week. We'll figure it out. Yeah. We'll make it work. Right, Dan? Yeah. Yeah, why not? Okay. Excellent. All right. Thank you, good FC Dallas Curious fan. We will speak to you next week with two games and midseason awards and a whole bunch of other stuff on Third Degree, the podcast. Champions. Third Degree, the Third Degree Net Podcast. Third Degree, the Third Degree Net Podcast. Third Degree, the Third Degree Net Podcast. Degree, the degree never care.